there are easy way to remember this is can it work does it work is it worth it so efficacy is can it work effectiveness is does it work and efficiency is is it worth it and policy makers and government and funding bodies research funding bodies they are more interested in the efficiency side of things is it worth it is it cost effective is it better compared to the legacy systems is it creating impact so you have to go to the funders to the policy makers to the government to the investors with impact data if possible and if you don't know these steps then you are going to struggle because you will confuse your outcomes with impact so i think that's very important to understand Hey there, all you game changers and innovators. Are you ready to dive into the world of blockchain and unravel its massive potential in transforming the global healthcare landscape? This is the Health Chain Podcast, where we bring together the brightest minds and the most powerful voices to explore the revolutionary potential of blockchain and distributed ledger technologies in healthcare. Together, we're on a mission to reshape the future of healthcare, one conversation at a time. In today's episode, you'll listen to a previously recorded interview with Dr. Nassim Nakfi, who's been a leader in evidence-based blockchain education and communications since at least 2017, when he founded the award-winning nonprofit British Blockchain Association, one of the largest blockchain associations in the world. The association has built a positive reputation by educating the academic community and governments on the disruptive nature of decentralization. To watch the uncut versions of these interviews before the rest of the public gets to listen to the podcast, subscribe to our Health Unchained Supercast premium membership and join the community of other innovative, like-minded professionals. You can find a link to our Supercast website in the episode show notes. You can also get access to our AMA section and other exclusive content. Health Unchained is also a media partner for the Blockchain and Healthcare Today Symposium in New Orleans, Louisiana. And that's in September of this year. 2023. If you're interested in buying tickets or sponsoring the event, please reach out to me so I can help coordinate with your team. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Unchained. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Nassim Nakfi. He is the president of the British Blockchain Association, the Journal for British Blockchain Association. And I'm really excited to be speaking with him about all things blockchain, journals, scientific literature, the scientific method, peer review, and all of that. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So just to get started, maybe you can give a brief background about your journey so far leading up to the development of what you're working on now? Yeah, sure. I'm the president of the British Blockchain Association, which is one of the world's largest blockchain associations. And we established this in 2017. I'm the the founder. And then under the umbrella of the BBA, we developed many world-class initiatives such as 
the journal you mentioned, and also the Center for Evidence-Based Blockchain Associations Forum, International Scientific Conferences, BBA Fellowships, and many others. And very recently, we have also launched our headquarters in the metaverse, where we host our monthly forums and events, and also university lectures and tutorials in partnership with, with the universities. That's incredible. That's a lot. And it's amazing that you started in 2017. That was the height of the ICO cycle or bubble, let's call it. During that time, what was your sort of interpretation of how blockchain was being adopted or how fast it seemed to be being adopted? And has your interpretation of the industry changed? The adoption was happening, but whether the adoption was was happening correctly and in an evidence-based way, that was a big question. And that was certainly the things that interested me to explore. And, and, and subsequent to that, we also published a paper on evidence-based blockchain. And the industry in general, even now and more so back then, we had five major challenges. The first one was to define what exactly is the problem that we are trying to solve uh, with blockchain. And what is the evidence of that problem? The second big challenge was how do we then go on and acquire high quality evidence, both for the problem and for the solution? And then how we evaluate the evidence and then apply the evidence and then report outcomes. And if you read the paper that we published in 2020, it highlighted some of the challenges. So just to give you an example, in 2018, the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, it, it looked at around 43 blockchain projects and companies that are claiming to have solved various problems using blockchain and distributed ledgers. And the study found that almost no company was willing to share their results, their outcomes, and their MERL processes, which are monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning. Then obviously, we have some more data which showed that around 80 to 90 percent of blockchain based token offerings, you mentioned the ICOs, they failed to deliver on their promise. So the idea, the concept of evidence-based blockchain is that you make decisions based on critical thinking, based on high-quality evidence from your personal experience and also from your professional expertise, and also evidence from organizations and scientific research. So I was the first person in the world back then to coin the term evidence-based blockchain. And then we published a paper, a study which looked at more than 500 blockchain and crypto projects and case studies. And we analyzed them, how many of them were based on high quality evidence. And we found some really interesting results. Around half of the blockchain companies, they showed no explicit evidence of the problems that they were solving. About one third failed to cite a comparison and intervention analysis. So whenever you are using blockchain to solve a problem, you have to compare it to what exactly you are trying to achieve compared to the legacy system. So comparison is very important. Right. And then just under 2% demonstrated evidence of outcomes which were backed by scientific literature, either in the form of publishing their own work in the journal or citing research studies to back their claims and to build their products. So this paper, I would recommend anybody interested in the topic of evidence-based blockchain to go and read it. It's available on the JBA website, Open Access. I'll also include that link to it in the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to access it. It's really interesting. You mentioned how it's important to compare your results with the legacy system or whatever you're trying to measure or compare it to. But 
Do you think that it's difficult to measure the success of a DLT project because it requires a length of time, maybe like even years for a community to build around it where there's tokenomics that have been achieved at scale? Yeah, I'll let you go there. Yes, that is true. I think you need a time for some projects to see how they are evolving. You take an example of trade lensly and what we have learned that the process the obviously the project is going to be abandoned finished or whatever you call it and the start was good so they tracked almost 4 billion events they published over 36 million documents 70 million containers and this level of engagement is not trivial it is quite impressive but unfortunately what we found is that although blockchain was successfully deployed as a platform as a technology but the full global free collaboration required to make it sustainable and profitable and commercially viable could not be achieved. And the project was launched in 2018 and it concluded rather sadly this year. So you are absolutely right. It can take some time. But I think what is important to understand is that you have to make sure that your scientific foundations are strong. If you have written a white, make sure that it is peer reviewed. Try and write a paper citing your methodology, your conclusion, your research findings, and then hopefully it's submitted to a journal where it gets reviewed by experts in the field who can provide some constructive criticism. So there is no excuse for not doing it properly. And if you go and read JBA, you will find there are lots of projects and case studies that have taken the proper scientific route to put forward their case and their project. So I think that is important to follow the the essential fundamental concepts of science and do things properly. But you are absolutely right. Sometimes it takes time for us to know the full outcome of a project. I think what is important also is people confuse the term output with outcomes. And this is what what I've noticed. So in any project, you have your inputs. So these are the resources that you have dedicated to a project then you do some activities with the project and then you have your outputs this is the volume of work that has been accomplished by the project so you can't confuse your outputs with the outcomes so the next step is the outcome so the outcome is the benefit or change for the participants either during the project or at the completion of the project And then you have, in the end, the impact, which is the long-term consequences of the intervention. So what I've seen in many hackathons and pitches is new projects saying, we have this very impactful product. No, no, you don't. It's not even been applied to at large scale. It's not been used. It's not been implemented. So you can't use the word impact. You can forecast, but it's not impacted anything yet. All you have is the output data. And the next will be outcome and then hopefully will be impact. Thanks for clarifying that. I think that's very useful for people listening. And you're right. I think like the results from a hackathon, a group coming together and building something, they might think it's potentially impactful, but it has not reached the level of impact at all because there was no, it hasn't been applied across the board or to scale. Yes, and this, that's this, right. Yeah. And this idea of outcomes really has to show the value to the stakeholders. There has to be some sort of value achieved or attained that didn't exist before the project. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the way it works is that you have this basic science, whatever discipline it is. And this is, by the way, this is a general framework. Then you test your idea in ideal setting. 
And this is what we call efficacy. So the efficacy is the next step. So you test your idea in the ideal setting, maybe in a lab, maybe a small project, maybe a pilot project, whatever you call it. Then you test your, you take it further, you test your idea in the real world setting. And this is what we call effectiveness. So efficacy, then you have effectiveness. And then the next step is when you you implement your project, your idea, your case study in, 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 on public. So this is when you have a, a large number of people involved. And this is what we call efficiency. When you have the biggest effect on most people, and this is, we, we mentioned this, there is a slide in the UK's National Blockchain Roadmap. And then the next, once you have demonstrated that there is efficiency, there is biggest impact on a large number of population, then all you need to do is make sure that there is enough availability of your of your product or service. And then the next is distribution. So from basic science to efficacy, to effectiveness, to efficiency, policymakers and government and investors, when you go and talk to them, most of the time they are more interested in the efficiency. Has it been demonstrated? Is it applied? And what we call applied blockchain. So I think that is very important to understand. And the easy way to remember this is, can it work? Does it work? Is it worth it? So efficacy is, can it work? Effectiveness is, does it work? And efficiency is, is it worth it? And policymakers and government and funding bodies, research funding bodies, they are more interested in the efficiency side of things. Is it worth it? Is it cost effective? Is it better compared to the legacy systems? Is it creating impact? So you have to go to the funders, to the policymakers, to the government, to the investors with impact data if possible. And if you don't know these steps, then you are going to struggle because you will confuse your outcomes with impact. So I think that's very important to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important. Thanks for clarifying. And one important aspect of all of this, like you already mentioned, is the peer review aspect of it, where you have your peers checking the work and ensuring that what you're trying to do or prove makes sense or is accurate. And I was recently at DSI London, an event where there was a lot of talk about decentralized science and decentralized peer review and a different way of looking at peer review. Are you familiar with decentralized peer review? And is the JBA doing a sort of decentralized peer review as well? Okay, so I think there are two questions. Let me just go back to peer review. So what exactly is it? So peer reviews is this idea that you involve independent experts to look at your work, to evaluate your work, and then hopefully provide some constructive uh, feedback or constructive criticism. And peer reviews has been taking place in our societies and communities all the time. I have a 45-minute video on YouTube on the topic of peer review, how it works, what are the limitations, what are the strengths. So peer review is taking place in our society and communities all the time. In democracy, voting is a form of peer review. When you are in a jury panel, it's a form of peer review. When you book your holidays, you look at the reviews from your peers, etc. So in scientific peer review, the idea is that your work is assessed by experts in the field to ensure that it is relatively free of, obviously you cannot completely eliminate bias, but relatively free of bias, You your methodology is sound, your conclusions are correct. If you say that you are going to uh, do something, then in the conclusion, you're actually commenting on that 
what you have worked on and not come up with something which is completely different. And this has been going around for centuries. It started in the 1660s with the Royal Society, Philosophical Transactions, one of the first journals. And then over the years, we have seen that this this is now a well-established concept which has been going around for many centuries. Now, the... Just a comment really quick on the... You mentioned the royal in the 1660s and early 1600s peer review existed. Yes, I think to some degree it did. But from what I understand and read, a lot of it was quite biased and the journal editors had a lot of control. As to now, yeah. there's some more issue of power. So I just wanted to make that clarification. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. So there are many different forms of peer review. So you are absolutely right. It was more of an editorial decision in the when it all started. So the papers get submitted to the editor and then edit, decide what to do. and then send it to people, they look at the paper, not necessarily anonymized or blinded, we call it, but now the terminology is changing, we now call it anonymized. So the best way to do it, and this is what we do with the JBA, is that we perform a double blind peer review, which means that the we remove all the author identifiable information from the paper. In fact, the template itself does not allow you or ask you to add any of your identifiable details. So the paper is assessed purely on the basis of merit, then it gets sent to the reviewers. They looked at it, so they don't know who the author is, and the authors don't know who the reviewers are. So the paper is assessed purely on the basis of the merit of the paper. Is it structurally sound? Is it uh, is it good? So there are three outcomes after a peer review: either the paper gets rejected, or it gets accepted, or there is uh, some work required. What we call a revision. And the revision depends upon how much, what are the basically deficiencies in your paper. If there are a lot of weaknesses, then it may require a lot of work for you as an author. Sometimes there is small, minimal work required. But usually there is a mix of revise and submit, reject, or one reviewer saying revise and submit, one saying reject. And so it's a combination of things. Now, coming back to your question of decentralizing peer review, I think, so I looked at it initially it excited me. Look at how it works. So which component of the peer review are you actually trying to decentralize? I don't know if you are aware, there are a couple of uh, quite big projects which looked at all this decentralizing everything in peer reviews process and all that. They didn't work. So they badly failed. And Do you know the name of that? No, I don't, okay. yeah, I don't want to name them because it's not, they, they didn't work. And there are some more papers actually coming out. You will get to know in the coming months. They didn't work. And the reason that they didn't work is because peer review is a very structured process. It needs good governance. And if you say you want to decentralize everything, so what are you exactly saying? So you're saying that the author submit paper somewhere on the blockchain. It gets picked up by some reviewers. How do you select the reviewers? How do you incentivize the reviewers? How do you monitor the quality of the reviews? So the quality control aspect is extremely important. Just decentralizing everything sometimes is not a good idea. You need to have some governance mechanism in place, some structure in place. How do you handle with author queries? How do you handle with complaints? How do you provide a good feedback? So sometimes reviewers may say, this is a rubbish paper. I, as an editor, cannot send that review to the author. I have to sometimes to slightly modify it to make it more easy for authors to understand what exactly is happening. Sometimes we have to elaborate a little bit. So there is a lot of quality control, quality governance things going on in the peer review process. 
So we in the JB, we use blockchain as we publish papers on the blockchain, pre-publication data. Can you maybe describe the what blockchain protocol you're on, the audience to know in more detail a little bit, how JBB yeah. publishes? Yeah. So let me just go back to the peer review finish. So the peer review, completely decentralized peer review, I have yet to see a really successful implementation of that. And I would love to see if it's happening. But as I said, there are a couple of projects that really badly failed, didn't work, because you need some kind of human interaction at an editorial level to coordinate the whole process, because it is a very structured process and you need some editorial input. Now, so JBA, we have, we use Artifact, which is a blockchain uh, platform. And it is governed by Bloxburg, which is a Max Planck uh, Society initiative. And it is free for JB authors to use. So authors can upload their research uh, findings, their preprint research papers on the blockchain, timestamp it, so quality, so provenance. And, and then once it's published by the JBA, then JBA upload the paper at the same time as published uh, online. So all articles that are published in the JBA are simultaneously uploaded on the blockchain. It's an Ethereum blockchain, Bloxburg, and it's fully open access. So all articles that are published in the JBA are open access, and they are uploaded in the blockchain. And then in the at the back end of this system, it's very good, actually. So authors can collaborate with each other and cite their work as well. And the citations are also received on the blockchain, which is so it's a very good system. So you can cite each other's work because we know that traditional citations, traditional, it takes some time for the system to capture those citations if you have cited somebody's work. But here with the JB artifact, it's absolutely real time. So if you cite somebody's work, you can instantly see that who has quoted my paper and who has referenced my paper. So to, to some extent, some of the components of the publishing has been blockchained at the JBA. We are having a look, observing seeing how things unfold. I've yet to see a complete ecosystem, successful implementation of that completely decentralized peer review process. But we are keeping an eye and we'll see how things go. Yeah, and if anyone listening out there is developing something like this, please reach out. I'm sure that we'll both be interested in learning more about that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Life expectancy in the U.S. has dropped for a second consecutive year, reaching 76 years and maternal mortality rates have reached a new high. The U.S. rate for 2021 was 32.9 maternal deaths per 100,000 live births, which is more than 10 times the estimated rates of some other high-income countries, including Australia, Austria, Israel, Japan, and Spain, which all hovered between two and three deaths per 100,000 in 2020. A study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association also found increasing mortality rates among children and adolescents in the U.S. The research catalog, what they call the U.S. health disadvantage, the fact that living in America is worse for your health and makes you more likely to die younger than if you lived in another rich country like the U.K., Switzerland, or Japan. A decade ago, a 400-page study titled Shorter Lives, Poorer Health revealed that the U.S. was falling behind the health advancements compared to other developed countries. The study found the U.S. health disadvantage to be prevalent across various age, racial, economic, and geographic groups. Factors contributing to the disparity include higher child poverty, 
gun violence, racial segregation, social isolation, and city design, among others. What is interesting is that the United States has higher survival after age 75 than peer countries do, and it has higher rates of cancer screening and survival, better control of blood pressure and cholesterol levels, lower stroke mortality, lower rates of current smoking, and higher average household income. But those achievements, according to the data, aren't enough to offset the other problems that befall many Americans at younger ages. Behind the statistics detailed in the report are the faces of young people, infants, children, and adolescents who are unwell and dying early because of conditions in their country that are not favorable as those in other countries. But those achievements, according to the data, aren't enough to offset the other problems that befall many Americans at younger ages. Behind the statistics detailed in the report are the faces of young people, infants, children, and adolescents who are unwell and dying early because of conditions in their country that are not favorable as those in other countries. The U.S.'s shorter life expectancy is estimated to cost the country $100 billion annually in extra health care costs. Life expectancy around the world decreased in 2020 due to COVID-19. Most peer countries rebounded by 2021 while the U.S. continued to decline. The United States faces a considerable challenge that tends to be dismissed by a large number of legislators and cannot be ascribed exclusively to the COVID-19 outbreak. Check out the episode show notes for links to all the references in this news corner. Thank you to our Telegram community member for sharing a recent NPR article inspiring this news corner. And now back to our episode with Dr. Nassim Nakvi, president of the British Blockchain Association. It's really fascinating about artifacts. I just was looking at the website really quick, and there are already a few partners, including the JBBA, Blockchain and Healthcare Today, Max Planck Digital Library, Sovereign. So there's an interesting number of partners already in that ecosystem. Yeah. And it's very easy to use, Ray. It's very easy to use. Instantly set up 30 seconds, you create an account. It's free to use for individual researchers. Institutions have to pay a fee. And then you can keep everything in one place, really from starting from the day one when you start writing your paper to all the way getting published in the JBA. You can upload your documents, pictures, slides, graphics, charts, everything, hash it, timestamp it, which is important. I think in the IP, particularly, if you are, if you know that somebody else is also working, but you are the first one, I think timestamping on the blockchain is very important. And you can do that very easily within a matter of seconds in art, on artifacts. Yeah, one example or company that I learned about last year and also saw them at Deside London was Deside Labs. And they're trying to do something like this. You may be familiar with them. I suggest you, anyone listening, also check them out. And one thing that you said is super important is the usability, the easy user interface that you know this affords. I think that's really important because the UX for blockchain is still early. And I think anything that you know, it's easy for users, is going to get adoption way more quickly. Have you seen any examples or roadblocks while trying to use artifacts or maybe a different service that you feel was limiting your Web3 experience? No, not really. We are happy with artifacts. We have been using them for some time. As I said, if there was any better alternative, we are always trying to improve the quality of our service. Everything we do at the BBA is all about quality, is all about making things, as you said, easier for our authors, a streamline for our authors. So I have not 
come across anything which is better than the artifacts is much easier you can connect you with your orchid id just one stop portal really yeah so okay. I, i found it quite useful and quite easy to use awesome so i want to talk to you about national blockchain roadmaps and i think your existence as an organization is trying to help other countries as well understand the implications of blockchain through academic research and things like that so what would you recommend to countries trying to understand what kind of roadmap they should build for their nations okay so that's a good question just to give you a, a quick overview of what what we did here in the uk so the, for the first time in the history of blockchain a country authored a national blockchain roadmap that is built entirely on scientific research and evidence frameworks entirely and put forward the recommendations 20 recommendations which are based upon evidence based benchmarks so most first of all there are not many countries that have published their national blockchain roadmap there are less than a dozen around 8 or 9 as of today uk australia dubai i think germany has one Estonia so most frameworks and strategies they tell you what to do we have shown in the uk's blockchain roadmap how to do it and that's the difference so you can put forward some recommendations but how are you going to implement those recommendations how have you come to those conclusions how do you evaluate blockchain programs because we are more than a decade into blockchain well over a decade and it's time that we audit the societal impact of blockchain applications and of course that was one of the recommendations and for the first time we also established levels of evidence and grades of recommendation and you're working in healthcare sector is very well this is very well established in other scientific disciplines to facilitate the development and evaluation of projects so we recommended for the first time that we need to establish levels of evidence and grades of levels of evidence grade of recommendation because lot of blockchain is still uh, unsettled science we need research we need quality research to make decisions what's working what's not working and governments must be prepared to facilitate an ecosystem where this kind of experimentation is encouraged outcomes should be evaluated and then examined and then applied and um, and this is very important also learn from others as well so not from the research that you have conducted in your country but elsewhere so things are moving very fast pace and we put forward these twin pillars you can call it roadmap recommendations some countries have more some have less but i think these are set of recommendations and i'm going to quickly give you most important bits everything is important but really the in because this today's topic is more of evidence based blockchain so what are the recommendations that are around this evidence based concept so the first thing is to agree upon the terms and taxonomy to describe evidence and standards because not all evidence is same we propose that uh, we have to agree on the terms and taxonomy that is used to describe this evidence because not all evidence is equal as you may have seen from the evidence based blockchain chart that on the top of the hierarchy of quality of evidence you have filtered evidence which is evidence from peer reviewed research meta analysis national guidelines systematic reviews and then as you come down you have case studies non peer reviewed data and commentary and opinion articles and so on so level 1a for example is when you have meta analysis systematic reviews multiple case studies and you have strong evidence to recommend action then 
Very important also, we talked about the impact, the societal impact. Why is it important? Why is it important for you as a blockchain company or as a blockchain, as a founder? So in in the UK, uh, the impact of any project or any service is, is audited. So 25% of uh, the research excellence framework funding is for projects that have demonstrated evidence of impact in all the six major societal components. So we have business, economy, government, healthcare, education, and enterprise industries. UK research and development funding is around 39.4 billion pounds. So 25% of that funding, around 10 billion, is dedicated, committed to projects that have demonstrated evidence of impact. So impact is important. And impact means real change so a positive change so not just the theory but actually making change at the level of a user at the level of citizen so i think these are this is important to understand and then also quadruple helix ecosystem is another important um, uh, recommendation so we know that evidence ecosystems are greater than the sum of their parts and this is very important that these evidence from different sources from from public services from enterprise, from academia, and also from government. It must be incorporated to come up with holistic recommendations and budgeting processes and decision-making also. So quadruple helix ecosystems audit the societal impact of blockchain applications, agree on the terms and taxonomy used to describe evidence, and then make decisions based on best available evidence. Thank you for sharing that. The quadruple helix ecosystems is really interesting to me. I'm going to do a little more research on that. Um, I believe that's all the time we have for today. I know that you have to get going. So I just want to say thank you so much for your insightful information and sharing a lot about the JBA and the BA. I will definitely be sharing links to that so people listening can find them. Anything else you want to share with the audience before we conclude here? No, thank you for having me. Just come and attend our conference. It's on the 18th of March, International Scientific Conference. We host these conferences every year. Researchers from all over the world are coming to attend the conference. So please do come if you can. We will be very happy to welcome you in Manchester on the 18th of March. We have some world-class blockchain research projects and case studies, what we discussed earlier. They are peer-reviewed by experts. And then we have also received some full papers now for the researchers that that are going to present their work. So yeah, please do come. It will be a good experience for anyone, whether you are in industry or in academia, to see how science work, the scientific method, the science, peer review, presentation, conference proceedings, very different from other, most of the other conferences that are happening in the blockchain circuit. This is going to be a very good experience. So I will definitely suggest all of you, whoever can make it, Blockchain International Scientific Conference, March, 18th of March, Manchester. Dr. Nassim Nakfi, I just want to thank you again for what you're doing. This is a service to, I think, the world. So I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. We'll definitely be talking again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group t.me slash health unchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.